Please remain standing now as I read this morning's text from Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus He stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. To the rest of you, thank you for being here at the 9 o'clock hour. I'm sure you know it, so if you do, sing it with me. Do the actions, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Give yourselves a hand. Well done little old school VBS there. We are in the series uh, that our VBS uh, lessons take us through each year where we kind of pull those lessons that our kids are going to learn about and we kind of talk about them on a Sunday. And uh, Zacchaeus is just one of those stories that routinely pops up at VBS. Our series theme is Wild Life. And this is a this is a fun kids uh, uh, story, a fun kids song to sing, right? But But it is there's something crucial here in this story that you and I need to understand today, and it is found in verse 10. It's the very last verse of the story where Jesus says, for the Son of Man, that's his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If there's a verse that you should walk out of here with today, it's that. Maybe that is our memory verse for today and for the rest of the week as adults, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you say it with me? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And today, as we, as we explore this story of Zacchaeus, we sang the song so well, let's just use the song to help us walk through this story and so that we can learn about the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. Here's what the song tells us, first of all that Zacchaeus was short. Yes, 
He was a wee little man. And of course, uh, a man is more than just his height, right? And so Luke actually does give us a lot of other details about Zacchaeus. He, he says he was chief. That's an important one. Israel was a conquered uh, country, and Rome was the conquering country. And Rome then came in and said, hey, Israel, we want your wealth guess what? We're going we're gonna to collect your wealth from you. They called them taxes, but they really weren't taxes. It was, at the end of the day, it was protection money. It was a shakedown. It was Rome coming in saying, we've already conquered you, and we will come and destroy you if you don't give us a significant percent of your capital and your income every year. And these taxes were anything but just. And so there are individual Jewish people who came alongside the Romans and collaborated with them to help them collect this extortion money, and those people were called tax collectors. And these tax collectors usually became extremely wealthy through this particular process of helping Rome. Tax collectors helping Rome were seen as exploiters, they were seen as traitors, they were even seen as deserters of the Jewish faith because they were helping Rome. They were universally Hated And Zacchaeus is the chief of all the tax collectors in this particular area. It's the one place in the entire New Testament where this word that we translate chief tax collector is used. And we really don't know what it means. People have made their best guess. And they, then most people think that it means that Zacchaeus was the head tax collector. Like there were all, all these other guys that he was in charge of who would also tax, uh, collect taxes, and uh, he was in charge of them, and he would get a commission off, off of what they brought in, and so it, he, he would get healthy, healthy uh, salary in this kind of position. And so chief also means that he's very wealthy. Luke flat out tells us he's rich. He's rich, right? Zacchaeus lives in a mansion behind a gate uh, with a pool and servants, and he drives a Lambo, and he vacations in Spain, that, that whole deal. He was rich. He lived in Jericho. That's a little detail that we should point out. Jericho is a town far below sea level by the Jordan River. It's less than 20 miles from Jerusalem, and it's a very important in that day city of commerce, uh, it's the hub of all the trade routes that go in and out of Jerusalem. It was only probably about 13,000 people in the day, but that was still a big place for that time. King Herod had a palace there. It was a very historic city. Mark Antony once gave Jericho to Cleopatra as a present. I'm not sure how you do that, but that's what he did. Joshua, if you remember back in the Old Testament, Joshua and his trumpeters walked around Jericho and brought down the city walls. Jericho is one of the most wealthy cities in Palestine. And so what's it like to be a tax collector where everybody makes a ton of money? Guess what? Tax income would be extensive. It's why Zacchaeus was rich, but it's not the only reason. Here's what we learn from Zacchaeus himself as we kind of slide down through the story, here's what we learn from Zacchaeus' mouth himself, that he was a cheater. He didn't have to be. In his position of chief and being over all of the other tax collectors, he would have been very wealthy just doing his job and not cheating anybody out of anything, but he cheated 
Anyway, maybe cheating was his way of becoming chief. I don't know. In verse 8, Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded anyone, but that's kind of, that kind of throws us off track. Really, it should be since I have defrauded people. That's the way the Greek reads. He's admitting his fraud in verse 8. And so when a person cheats to get ahead when they're already ahead, what's that? That's nothing but greed. And everybody knew it. Here's another detail that he was despised. Verse 7 says that everyone knew who Zacchaeus was. And in that verse, everybody is grumbling against him. No one is happy that Jesus takes time for this man. Look what they call him. They call him a sinner. It's probably the most derogatory label that they could give him. And you can't blame them much. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the townspeople of Jericho. They see Zacchaeus getting progressively richer and richer. He's kind of a mob boss at this point. And he know, they know that it's their money that he has no right to, but he's taking by force that is providing his more and more lavish lifestyle. Everybody knew that when he came out with a new suit or a new cloak, they knew. They knew it was their money that had bankrolled that. Can you imagine the bitterness? This is my kid's college fund. This is my retirement. And it turns into a pickleball court on Zach's estate. They see this and there's nothing that they can do about it. And so if these townspeople were here today to hear you and I sing Zacchaeus was a we, they would say, what? What? Who did you just, he's the hero of the story? No, uh-uh, no. He was despised. Then one day, detail we reach for when VBS rolls around, right? It's the one thing that we, we grab onto is that he was short. Luke says it this way. He was small in this time. Zacchaeus would have stood at less than five feet tall. He was, he was so short, well... How short was he? He was so short that he was always the last one to know when it was raining. He was so short that his family run, wondered if he'd ever been able, be able to reach his goals. He was so short that every stage of his life came with a ladder. He was so short that no one ever asked him for money. They knew he'd always be short. He was so short that he was more down to earth than anyone he was so short that Snow White would call often and ask when he was coming home. He was so short that he struggled to put food on the table. He was so short that when he smoked, he didn't get high, he got medium. I love that one. And in the words of Larry the Cable Guy, I don't care who you are, that's funny. Uh, and some of you are offended by that, you need to get over it because what I'm doing up here is the height of comedy, okay? You're welcome. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all those descriptions, and I want you to write a movie role for somebody who is insanely wealthy, somebody who lives on, in one of the most hip spots on the earth, uh, who extorts people for a living, and who has more enemies than he will ever have friends. And then, when you have that role written, I want you to go out and hire Danny DeVito to play the part. And that's Zacchaeus. And I am so sorry because you'll never turn to Luke 19 again and not see Danny DeVito now. 
I'm so sorry about that. But on the other hand, maybe I'm not sorry because it's his smallness that sticks with us. And there's a reason for that. With, with very careful uh, care, not to, not to allegorize his smallness, his stature. Zacchaeus was short in more ways than just physical height. We, we could also say this with absolute confidence that he was short because he did not measure up. He was an outcast. He, he was a traitor who worked for, for the occupier, uh, the country Rome. He, he cheated on top of all, of all of that, so he was a sinner. He was disowned by his own country. He was despised. He fell short of God's perfect standard. There's a really intriguing detail lurking here when Zacchaeus tries to, get to go see Jesus. Luke says it this way, that on account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus because he was small in stature. That, that's super interesting. And we get the small part that he couldn't see over the crowd. But I want you to think through this part with me, on account of the crowd. Let's do a quick poll. Let's say that you're at a parade and you got there at 4.30, and the parade starts at 6 because you want your spot, right? And as soon as the parade starts, somebody, with, somebody really tall comes. And not only are they tall, but they have a 10-gallon cowboy hat on their head, and they park themselves right in front of you. Little pole, is that irritating? Yes. Anybody okay with that? Eh, two people that don't want to be at the parade anyway. Okay. I got here first, and now I can't see. It's super irritating. Now, same scenario, okay? Let's just shift that a little bit. This time, somebody comes. You've got, got your seat. You're staked out there, 4.30, and now the parade's starting at 6. And this time, somebody elbows their way through the crowd, but they are a whole head and shoulders shorter than you. Let's just say they don't even have hair. So there's nothing in your way. Are you worried now? How many of you are irritated now? Oh, you might be irritated that they elbowed their way through, but you're not irritated that they're in front of you because you can see fine. Luke says Zacchaeus couldn't see on account of the crowd, but it's easy enough to let somebody short stand in front of you. We do that all the time, but here the crowd refused even the short man a spot in the front, and what does that tell you? It tells, them, tells you they hate him. They hate him. The crowds know exactly who Zacchaeus is, and they'd rather throw an elbow in his eye than let him in front. We're good people, Zacchaeus. You're the sinner. Oh, is that you down there, Zach? Sorry. Sorry about that. My bad. He's short. He's short in height, but he's just as short in ethics, in relationships, in character, in acceptance, in love. He's a man who has everything, but he's so short that he has nothing. Here's the second thing that the song gives us, that Zach was up a tree. Zacchaeus, he climbed up in a sycamore tree, right? The crowd wasn't going to let him see Jesus, and so he 
saw an opportunity down the road. He saw where the parade was going, that it hadn't gotten there yet. Everybody's clamoring around Jesus, and he knows that it's going to pass by this certain tree that's down the way. And so Luke says it's a sycamore tree, but it wasn't like the sycamore trees that you and I know about in Kansas. Sycamore trees in the Mediterranean were, had these huge trunks and very low uh, lateral branches. So they were perfect for climbing. And so look carefully at what Luke says. He says that Zacchaeus was focused on not just seeing Jesus, but Luke says it this way. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. That's way different than just wanting to see Jesus and get his autograph or something. Zacchaeus is so intent, not just to lay eyes on Jesus, but to understand who he was, and that's a key for us. Again, I want to be careful to say what the text does not say, but you can be up a tree in more ways than just being up a tree, and Zacchaeus absolutely was. One of the things that Luke helps us with here by telling us about Zacchaeus uh, and his riches is how he would have had the ability and the means to chase down every shiny part of life and wrestle it to the ground. Zacchaeus would have been in the unique position to explore in full everything that this world has to offer, and we get the idea that he had. One of the ways that a majority of commentators uh, describe Zacchaeus when you read in commentaries is this, sad, that he was sad. It's not really in the text, but you can absolutely see the path that they used to get there. Here's a wealthy guy. The world is at his fingertips. He can get anything he wants pretty quickly, but somewhere in the chase, he finds the truth that everyone comes to at some point that nothing in this world satisfied him like he thought it would. I want you to recall the story of Jacob uh, in Genesis chapter 29. And Jacob works for seven years to win the girl of his dreams. He completes his seven years of work, and he takes home with him his beautiful new wife, his lovely Rachel, that was her name. What he doesn't know as they are headed home from the wedding ceremony is that his father-in-law, Laban, has actually not given him Rachel He's given her, him her, his other daughter, Leah, and Rachel was lovely. The text just says that Leah was weak in the eyes, so not so much, right? And Jacob is clueless about this, and so he shares his wedding night with who he thinks is the love of his life, and the text just says this, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Surprise. And there's a lesson there. The lesson is that in this life, in this broken world, there will be cosmic disappointment in everything that we put our hand to. In every event, in every endeavor, in every situation, there will always be something that's missing, something that's lacking. It just won't be as good as we thought it would be. Nothing will completely live up to its billing in this life. Every time you get that new job, every time you complete that project that you set your hand to, every time you take that trip, every time you have that great reunion with the family, every new gadget that comes into your life, you, you'll think of all of those things. This is the thing. This is the thing that will that will 
satisfy me. It will make my life complete. And listen, it never does. It never does fully, fully. No matter what you do in life, in the morning, it will always be Aaliyah. You go to bed with Rachel, but in the morning, it will always be Leah. Nobody puts that better than C.S. Lewis. He says it this way. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and they want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us, which we when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. That thing that we thought was going to be the center of it all, the thing that we thought would make our lives right, it has evaded us. In everything you do, you'll always go to bed with Rachel, and you'll always wake up with Leah. And you won't live a wise life until you understand that. And that's why Zach is up a tree. That's why he's out on a limb. He's tried every other way. He's tried power and wealth. And more than likely, he's tried all the pleasures that he could find. And he's come away emptying. He's still looking. Nothing yet has satisfied enough to fill the hole in his heart. So not only was he short, but everything in the world was falling short for him too. One commentator said this, and I love this line. Zacchaeus was drawn to Jesus by the severe mercy of dissatisfaction. You have those times in your life where you look around and you're just like, this isn't it. Maybe that's God's grace. Maybe that's his mercy pulling you to him because Jesus is passing by. The good news is Jesus wants to be known and there are trees everywhere. There are trees everywhere. Zacchaeus could have said, no way I am climbing up a tree Uh, because at the end of the day, that just kind of looks silly. A grown man climbing up a tree, a prominent man climbing up a tree. Everybody knows him. This is something only a child does. And maybe that's why the story makes sense for kids. But he climbed anyway. He was perfectly fine to face the ridicule and be seen as undignified by the crowd around him. He was perfectly fine running, which was something a man didn't do in those days. He was perfectly fine climbing a tree, which is something that no dignified man would do in those days. And the thing Because the thing he was in search of was more important than his dignity. And if you and I really want to see who Jesus is, we're going to have to climb some trees. You're going to have to read Scripture. You're going to have to learn the language of God and devote yourself to prayer. The language of God is Scripture, by the way. You're going to have to engage other Christians farther down the path than you and be willing to learn from them. That's a tree you need to climb. You need to climb the tree of Bible study by either 
going to a Bible study or opening the Bible on your own every day or going to a class. And when you go to a, a setting like that, you're going to think that you're going to be like a fool. You're going to look like a fool because you don't know a lot. Guess what? You don't know a lot. That's okay. That's okay. Climb the tree anyway. It's going to make you look like you're spiritually needy to show up at a class or to open the Bible. But you are. It's okay. Climb a tree. Take that effort. That's what Zacchaeus did. And he did it to get a look at Jesus. I need to know who he is. Here's the other big idea in the song that Zacchaeus had to come down. Zacchaeus, you come down. As Jesus passes by, he steps, he, he stops, and, and he steps towards the tree, and he looks at the tree, and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, and he calls out to him. Now, the question is, what in the world is the Savior of the universe going to say? If you're Zacchaeus, mm, there's no reason that you're not bracing for ridicule right now. That's surely what's coming. That's what you're used to from the crowd anyway. And sure... and. You know, surely Jesus is going to point a finger. Maybe that's why we do the finger thing in the, in the song. Have you ever noticed that? Like we, we make Jesus into this uh, shame on you, Zacchaeus, right, by pointing our finger. I don't know why we do that. But Jesus did not use some derogatory term that's normally applied to hated publicans. Instead, he calls Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus. You come down. There's all kinds of discussions we could have on how he knew Zacchaeus' name. But the bottom line is he did, and your name is the most beautiful thing can somebody, somebody can say to you. And when Jesus uses your name, it changes you forever. He says, Zacchaeus, the only time in all of Scripture where Jesus invites himself over to somebody else's house. Have you ever had that happen with a friend? They, they, show, they show up, and you, you start talking, and, and, and uh, they invite themselves over right? It's rarely because they're looking out for you. It's usually because you have something that they want. Wow, you're, you're having lamb on that new Blackstone? Wow, that sounds amazing. What time are you eating? I'll be over, right? That's what we do. But here it's not about what Jesus wants. It's about what he's been called to. He says, I must stay at your house. Why? He invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house, because there's, there's a necessity for Jesus to associate with people like Zacchaeus. This whole scene is a thumbnail of why Jesus came from heaven to earth in the first place. Jesus will say it this way earlier in the book of Luke. He will say, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but it's the sick people. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or here in this text, it's our memory verse. It's verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The self-invite was Jesus' way of inviting Zacchaeus into his life. Jesus is inviting a morally corrupt person into his life. And notice that he does not say, Zacchaeus, I need you to clean yourself up first and then I'll love you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I love you, Zacchaeus just like you are, now come down. Now come down because I'm going to your house. And as a result of that incredible love and acceptance, Zacchaeus will actually clean up his life. That's how the gospel works. 
We don't clean ourselves up so we can come to Jesus. No, we come to Jesus who loves us, and then we're compelled to clean ourselves up. That's how it works. Zacchaeus does not say, Lord, I'd like you to invite you in my life either. That's not how it goes. Instead, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, here I come. Here I come. You and I don't need to work and scratch and claw our way to God. God comes to us. Religion says this, that I have to be good enough. I have to be strong enough. I have to be tall enough. I have to jump high enough to reach out to God. But the gospel is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The gospel is that God reaches out to us and says, I'm here for you. I see you. You are a moral failure, failure, but I'm here to bring you salvation. And all you have to do is come down from your tree and welcome me in. And that's what Zacchaeus did. He came down from his tree. He welcomed the Savior into his life. And Jesus says two amazing things about that in this text. He says, first, Today, salvation has come to this house. Christianity and following Jesus is the only system that can say salvation has come. It has come. It means this, that it is done. Now, how can Jesus say this, that salvation has come? He can say it because he is the salvation. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, and the minute that I walk into it, salvation will have come to you because I am salvation. In another gospel passage, Jesus puts it this way, that I am the resurrection and the life, right? Jesus doesn't just point the way. Jesus is the way. Salvation is that Jesus is good enough before God, that Jesus does not fall short, that he lives tall enough to meet every one of God's requirements. And so if Jesus is salvation and somebody finds themselves in Him, united to Him, then guess what they have? They have salvation. Wherever Jesus is, there is salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house. Secondly, he says, Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. That's what he calls him. It means that Zacchaeus exercised the same kind of faith that Abraham did. I want you to see what a big deal that was. It means that this despised tax collector who was a traitor to Israel, right, was now just as much a part of the family of God as the most revered person in Judaism was, which was Father Abraham. A person is not saved by a good heritage or condemned by a bad one doesn't matter if your dad was a preacher or in prison. It doesn't matter. Faith trumps our genealogy. And so here's a person who was exiled from any claim to being Jew- Jewish by his fellow countrymen. He, he was told he was a traitor by the crowds. He was told that he was no better than a Gentile dog for what he was doing with the country of Rome. And here is Jesus welcoming him back and calling him a son of Abraham. And here's what we know of this son of Abraham. Zacchaeus lived the rest of his life devoted to his Savior. You ever thought about the after story, like what happened after to Zacchaeus? There's a guy named Clement that writes about the early church, and he tells us that Zacchaeus later became a bishop of Caesarea, the 
swindler became a servant. He became a church leader. And he was the littlest man, but he became one of the biggest because of Jesus, because he came down. There's a professor at a seminary who would invite his students every Friday out to uh, an oak tree on his estate. And he called it the question oak. And all the students who came were free to ask the professor questions around the question oak at this certain time every Friday. And then after they questioned about this scripture and that scripture, he would call on students to give extemporaneous sermons, maybe on the passage that they were talking about. And so one Friday at the Question Oak, he called on a student to give a message on this story of Zacchaeus. And right off the cuff, the student stood up and he said this, Zacchaeus was of little stature and so am I. And Zacchaeus was up a tree and so am I. And Zacchaeus had to come down, and so will I. What a great way to sum this story up. Zacchaeus was short, and so am I. I am lost. I don't measure up. For people to complain about Zacchaeus being, uh, the, 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 Jesus being the guest of a sinner, Zacchaeus, for them to complain about that is to overlook the fact that Jesus was limited exclusively to homes filled with sinners. That's all he could go to. We're all sinners. If Jesus comes to my house today, I'm a sinner. Zacchaeus was short and so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree. So am I. I'm so short that I'm up a tree. I can't jump high enough to cover the sin in my life. I'm looking everywhere in this world to fill a hole in my soul that only can be filled by Jesus. Zacchaeus was up a tree, and so am I. Zacchaeus had to come down, and so will I. Even through the leaves of the tree that I'm up, Jesus sees me. He calls me down. Jesus is the salvation that I'm looking for in all of those other places in life. Zacchaeus came down, and so will I. The reason that you and I can come down from our tree is because Jesus climbed up on one and was nailed to it. And there's no one here today who is not little. There's no one here today who isn't up a tree. There's no one here today who can't come down. Jesus wants to come into your life and he's inviting himself over into the home of your heart. The question is, Will you let him in? Zacchaeus did it with joy. Will you do the same? Let's stand. We're going to worship today. If you have a response that you need to make today, if you need to come down from your tree, would you come?